Hi guys, this is Ryan and on behalf of Harry, James and myself, welcome to the Coaches Room, where we speak to coaches around the world and hold discussions about the game we love. You can also find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Anchor. Thanks for listening, enjoy the podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the Coaches Room, this is episode 10, we are back today with myself, Ryan, James and Harry, today we're doing another host special, Um, we've got a few more questions from previous guests that have come on. Um, and they've sent us in a few questions to answer. Um, guys, do you want to say anything before we get started? No, I'm good to go, Ryan. All good to go. Perfect. So, first question comes in from at James McGowan Coaching from episode one, who says, what are your views on pre-academies? What benefits do you think they have? And what drawbacks do you think they have and why? I'll kind of kick us off on this, given that I'm currently in the pre-academy phase. I think it's... It's, it's definitely got its positive and negatives. You know, th- there are big negatives that come with the positives. Um, has anyone seen the, the under, fi- under five elite academy at Man City? Has anyone seen that? No, but I don't want to already from what you've said. It's, um, so basically, it got absolutely hammered into on, on football Twitter that they kind of Man City brought out their under five elite team. So then they've obviously got like a development team under it, um, which in itself is just bonkers. You know, and it was like, at what point do you kind of say enough's enough there? Because that is well over the line, in my opinion. Even putting labels like that on it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, we, yeah. Go, goes back to what we were talking about last week with like recreational sport. They still need that within football, I think. They need the, the time with them. Obviously, they make friends at that age, they'll make friends with anyone, but <clears throat> they've got their, their core group of friends that they want to play football with. So. To be fair, the whole pre-academy thing, I didn't know anything about until I met you, Ryan, and you yeah, explained yeah. kind of what it was. I didn't even know it was a thing. I thought just academies gave, like, grassroots clubs, clubs like, a year or two to kind of introduce the players, and then it came in. Yeah, but so I didn't even know it was what, a thing. What I think a lot of, like, the lower league teams do, um, I, think, I think it's somewhere, maybe, like, the bottom half of the championship, that kind of level, and then lower is they have RTCs, regional talent talent centres. I think there's something like that, you know, where they can go in, you know, like the best few players from a, like from a grassroots team can go in to a regional talent centre of maybe like Oxford or, you know, something like that. And they can go in for training by the Oxford coaches, but it's not directly affiliated. You know, there is, then they can bring them in, but, you know, yeah. they can just turn up here, there, and, you know, they're not going to PNE, you know, they're not going into like the training ground that everyone uses or, you know, it's situated somewhere else and and it's like the branch off in a way. It's like that bridge between grassroots and academy. But like <clears throat> I just think like is it a bit of a like a money game? <clears throat> like a bit of a money game where pe- like coaches and, and academies are trying to get like the best talent in as young as possible and keep them there. And if so, I I, I I'm not all for it, but you know, if you're doing it for the right ideas of you know you're trying to get them into football and you know you're giving them a positive experience, then there's nothing, no harm in it. But it's that very fine tipping point, isn't it? I think how, are they, how are they though, on it? I'm just well, I'm just thinking like, what age are they kids? Like, what age are they allowed so, to? So they come in at under sixes. They can't play until under sevens though. Okay, so they come in at under sixes and they're what? They just do training sessions? Yeah. But it's like, like that, having done the under sixes as well, like it's a lot, like me and me and James, who's actually sent in the question, we emphasise a lot on just fun and games. 
because they're going to learn the best way through that. But also, you know, trying to teach someone to play out. So, the back what would be the differences between? What would be the difference between maybe Preston under sixteen six is a pre academy and Man City's? This is the thing. Well, I mean, no, what's, exactly. what's the difference exactly. between being at one club and the other? Well, no, exactly. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying. I think that's what is kind of his kind of point is. You know, are they a, a good thing across the country? You know, across the whole footballing scheme. Is it? Is it a great idea? And I, I'm on. I'm on the line of. I can see yes, having experiences there, and I, and I can also say no from having experience. I think, to be fair, one of the things with it, people will probably look at it and think <clears throat> it's greedy just trying to get the best kids and the kids will show, you'll know better than me, right, but show a little glimpse of something good yeah, or yeah. I've got an older brother or sister who's yeah. already in the system, yeah. stuff like that. But at the same time, if they get put in this academy, they are given, not given, but they are worked with the strong coaches, like the good coaches who should use will, obviously any coach at that age will develop them, but they're given the best chance through, they've already got that spark kind of thing, but then they're, they're given a good coach who I'm guessing there's like minimums that you need to be to get in that setup. It's not just any level one off the street kind of thing. So yeah. they are, it's like a two-way thing, like they, they're going to develop anyway, but at the same time, they're given strong coaches who will help that and best I just, prepare them. I just think though, like I'm not, I'm not being like mean towards like the kids, you know, having coached that age, but like, could that coach's experience and maybe qualifications better be used somewhere else in the academy? You know, maybe like as a floating coach in the in the main academy in the foundation phase or YDP phase. You know, why don't they just let the kids kind of blossom and learn on their own until under nines? You know, because there's loads of grassroots football. You know, you know Liverpool, you know Newcastle as well is massive for you know grassroots football, isn't it? I think most of the country is. And you know they've given that chance. Uh, They're only nine, if you think about it. Still, that's so young yeah. to come into academy. There's teams around, like clubs around where I live, who who say they don't do under seven teams, and they they kind of give other club uh, other clubs like the year to to like introduce the players, and then they go from there and try and like pick up them when they've already had that season of getting to know. Because one of the big things you find at grassroots is the first season they haven't to learn the rules, they haven't to learn yeah like goalkeeper's position stuff like that and like the actual rules so I think they the could kind of pre-academies could work if they if they teach that sort of thing as well which I'm guessing they do yeah. but then around here a lot of clubs like allow other teams to to give them that first year and then they go like cherry pick from there I disagree with that um, what, uh, look at the uh, should we have a look at some of the benefits so definitely a benefit um, of the pre-academy thing is you know, you you're getting maybe younger brothers in who, you know, their their older brother might be really good, you know, you might be kind of taking a chance on the younger one who maybe, you know, is early shine sorry, shows early signs of a quite good football and ability. And I know it's hard to, to show at that age, but you know, and get instilling in them, you know, maybe some of the, the values or, or little core themes that you might use throughout the academy. Yeah, it's getting them getting them used to how you do it from the start, isn't it? Really, so uh, <clears throat> when they move into under sevens, they kind of they know the deal, they know they know the whole situation, kind of thing. So, yeah, gets them best prepared. Obviously, it looks good from the outset that obviously parents love the idea of always oh, wearing. He's a we're all Preston fans, and he's wearing a Preston kit and stuff like that at the age of five, six year old. Yeah. So it does look good from the outset. Yeah. 
A, a drawback, definitely, that I can think of is early specialisation. Was it last week we spoke about it? I think it was talent transfer. Um, yeah, it definitely was. And to, you know, to to give this this child maybe three sessions a week, two three sessions a week at under six, under seven, and just hone in on football that is massively restricting his time to go and play tennis, badminton, golf, cricket. You know, all these other great sports which can actually help him or her. Sorry, and it's like. You know why? Why strictly force them down a footballing route? Yet you don't even know what his favourite food is yet, or her favourite food is yet. Mm-hmm. You know it's crazy sometimes. Um, Me as well. One of the one of the big drawbacks is the whole. So they're in that system. So how how young would you take them in, Ryan? Four, sixes, five year old. Sixes, fives, yeah. So under sixes for five year old. So it's then to have linking back to what we've kind of spoke about in recent ones. Six year old, and then they get the to get to a year, two years, three years, and then suddenly they're not good enough for the academy environment. The amount of kids that are like completely not want anything to do with football after that, and it kind of ruins them because they feel safe and they feel like comfortable. Yeah. And then that's took away from them because another little kid's been found who has more promise than them, which is another debate completely. But you know what I mean? Like I've had friends who've been in academies until the age of 15, 16, think they're going to get like a, a good deal and they're going to go on and then they get dropped down from it and they're, they're kind of lost and they, they don't want to go back into the grassroots environment. Yeah, definitely, because it's the, the, all they've known is, you know, playing for a big name, isn't it? And, and, and what comes with that? Um, should we move on? Or Harry, have you got anything stored? You've been... Yeah. No, I'm just thinking, like, in, obviously I don't work with the age group and it's been quite a long time since I've, I've worked with that age group, so... I think you two are much better prepared to answer this question. However, in Spain, I know that, you know, they've got even leagues in under six. They've got leagues under seven, under eight. They've got leagues since a very, very young age, which, you know, they don't really take them that seriously. But sometimes you've got, you know, all the parents around the pitch watching. and You've got a referee, an actual official referee, you know, for a group of under fives. In Spain as well, dishing out the cards. I've seen referees. There's leagues as well, so you can actually, like a top tier league. I mean, it's it's absolutely nuts. So the parents, you know, without without going further, last year or two years ago, I was technical director for a club in Murcia. I remember this dad that I had a conversation with because he kept on... Um, he was videoing the kids, his, his son, like taking free kicks and scoring goals in this like under six game and posting them on social media as if it was Ronaldo. And he actually started calling him JP7. <laughs> so I thought it was getting a bit over the top. And, um, you know, you could even see it wearing off of the kid at the same time. Um, like he felt under pressure during the games. and He was really, really, really suffering when like if he didn't get a video that day. You know, he was he was really dependent on all this glamorous praise that we talked about, I think, two weeks ago, which he wouldn't get all the time. And, you know, to have a kid at the age of five or six worrying about that, it's quite sad, really, from my point of view. I think They need the chance to the enjoy FA, it first, don't they? The FA did a really good job. Um, I think it must have been at the start of this season where they actually banned... Um, Grassroots clubs up to the age of under eleven from putting their lead their game results like online, 
um, which is a really good step. You know, really, really highlights that it's about enjoyment and development at that age and not a results-based approach, isn't it? I, th- I think that's a really, really good thing that the FA did this year. Um, Definitely. There's still parents who like bigger steps, doesn't post. it? Yeah, there's still parents who post and say, like, well done to whatever team that have won 12 nil this weekend. But it's like, as individual clubs, how do you then how do you step in and say, like, can you stop? Can you yeah. stop doing that type of thing? So, yeah, think, it needs police, but it's right. Yeah, I think it's like, like you said, like that first half of the sentence, then, Jamesy, like your example, social media posts, like, well done to the boys. Like, that's enough. Or, like, well done to the boys. They did really well today and they all gave the role with a photo of the team. That's great. But if it becomes well done to the boys, my Jimmy scored seven and set up the other three and, um, and played the full 40 minutes, well, A, no one else needs to know. And B, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. It's not about that at that age. You know, so why... Yeah, because then, what if... What if one of the parents from the other team seen that, then it just causes conflict straight yeah, away, exactly. doesn't it? If... Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not ideal, right? Let's uh, let's let's head up question two. Let's move it on. Where's my mouse? There we go. <laughs> I think we did it there, James. You go back. There we go. You go back one. Did I miss? Have yeah. I missed one? Yeah. All right. Um. So question two comes in. Go. At ACB Football Coaching, also known as Aaron, um, been on a few times, really good guy Aaron, this is from episode two, he said, thoughts on one-to-one coaching in youth football, can we challenge the let them play and work out for themselves mindset? I think the two of those, come, well, it comes to mind when I think of thoughts on one-to-one coaching in youth football, like are we saying that it's good or not, or can I, and then can we challenge them to play and work? out for themselves I think it goes against what one-on-one coaching is yeah so my contrast is one-on-one coaching is a good in youth football I think it's great in the sense of if you want to work on physical conditioning or technical ability you know without the right context because you're you're the trigger is the wrong trigger to do whatever you're doing so when you receive the ball it's not going to be from that context probably and the trigger's way different in a game situation but it still works on your technique to a certain degree isolated and then it also works on your physical conditioning so it's better than sitting down on the sofa um can we change to let them play and work out for themselves mindset i think this question doesn't go with one-on-one coaching if it is trying to relate it i don't think we can on a one-to-one session unless we're creating situations where we are involved and it's a 1v1, then we start implying decision-making based on a similar context of what could happen in the game. But through cones, mannequins, we can do certain things and we can improve technically isolated, as I said before. But I don't believe we can um, you know, let them play and work out for themselves mindset. I don't think that's the I mean... mindset you I, I've coached, done a lot of one-to-ones recently and some of them being, you know, older lads playing in, in decent leagues around here, some in the Welsh leagues, uh, one who's been in America um, and someone who's been in League One. Um, but it's like, when the first thing they said to me when they first came back in and I just said like, let's get a ball moving, you know, just have a bit of fun, let's get warm. And it was like, the first thing they all said was like, oh, I've just missed this so much, being able to kick a ball. Like, I think a lot of the one-to-one stuff is just, 
little technical details that we can top up and you know the physical conditioning depending on which route you take as a coach but I think that's the biggest takeaway as a one-to-one coaching I think that's the biggest takeaway from from the one-to-ones isn't it technical development because you can't you can work on tactical (laughs) development but it's a lot of theory you know you can't really put it into a practical example on you know because mannequins don't move and poles don't tackle but I think there's a lot to be learned in the technical mm-hmm. development side of the game because you can pra- you can hone in on a lot of repetition. But it's then how do we translate that into a realistic environment, you know, with the same intensity, you know, in the same period of work. It, that's the challenge, I think. Yeah, I agree with what you said, Harry. I never really thought about it that way in terms of the triggers and the reference points aren't, you can't replicate them. But where I think... In La Manga, when we do it, Harry, it works quite well because you, you can have that one-to-one time with someone and give them the idea of the reference points. And then if you see them later on in the day within a team session, you can kind of have that connection with them. I remember this morning when we worked on this mannequin's a reference point, that's now Johnny over there, for example. Like, as long as you relate and you coach it, because they're never going to see a mannequin within a game. They're never going to use that reference point. But then exactly. if we see them in, in a team environment and we can... <clears throat> link the two up because they, they love the little references of all oh, right I worked with Ryan for an hour today yeah and then it comes into a game scenario when all of their mates are there and then they've got Ryan saying like linking it back they kind of love the attention of oh he's he's getting one-to-one stuff and like yeah they kind of buzz off that don't they so it, it links it back to them yeah definitely I think there's I think like it's hard to explain but like I think also as coaches in the one-to-ones, like you're saying there, Jamesy, you know, being able to then two hours later in the matches say, oh, do you remember when we did this this morning? I think that in order to get that translation, we have to recreate the intensity ourselves. You know, we can't just say like, you know, let's move through the motions. You're going to fake to go away and receive the ball. Then we play a little one-two round the mannequin. You know, it's got to be in out quick, you know, quick movement, short movement, game realistic. But I think that's down to us as coaches as well, setting the tempo. Yeah. If you remind them, like if, they, if they're going at sixty percent, you say, right, well, you you're going to play like that this afternoon. If you're going to do that's it, that's be yes, you can do it, right, but you're going to lose the ball by the yeah, time you get exactly. to the third goal, and then and then. Well, then that's that's the yes, the issue, isn't it? Exactly, it's, that's kind of what we're saying. Are yeah. we are we training something that realistically, when they get into a situation, they might not be successful? So then they'll go back to that one-on-one session and think to themselves, hmm, I should be getting better at this, but I'm not. Definitely. Because it's not the same thing. You know, I, I, James, you've pointed out before, the combination between a one-on-one session and also playing, it's like right now I'm starting to play paddle. I mean, I've, I've never been great with um, tennis records, but, I've, you know, I really enjoy it. So I have one-on-one sessions, have group sessions, and I have match play. And I try and link up the three. So I'll have a one, one-on-one in the morning, and then directly, as soon as I possibly can, I go into a competition. So I can really take and compare what I've learned in the morning with what I'm going to do in the afternoon. But if I just have an isolated 1v1 and I don't get that match experience, then I can't seem to link it up. And I found that one day I was, I was doing a private on Monday and I played on Wednesday and that was already too far away. Like everything, all the information that I got on Monday, Halfway through the game, I was back to my, you know, back to 
just doing like old habits and whatnot. So the consistency is really important, but I think the consistency with match play is, is massive. And I think it's the one big factor we're losing, meaning yeah. we're really digesting the game from the full context into a smaller and smaller and a more isolated area. And what we're forgetting is, hang on, they are trying to play football here and football is three against three, four against four, five against five, 11 against 11 with two goals with these, you know, we end up playing little of the actual game and a lot of all these different drills. And I think we need to flip it back on its head and start playing again. So those, I think, what, I think that's where, it, sorry, I think that that's where it kind of comes nicely into in back, back around to the second half of the question there. They'll let them play and work out for themselves mindset. What's our kind of opinion on that? Can I just quickly nip in my point just because it leads yeah. to what Harry said and then we'll go, we'll go on to it. Yeah. So Harry, you said there about, like you just mentioned the word habit and I think that's one of the good things about one-on-one coaching. You can, yeah. especially if you already know the player going into it, you know the bad habits. Like for example, at your level, Harry, it might be they don't check their shoulders. So then in a one-on-one session, you can really get that repetition of every time you receive the ball off me, check your shoulders and then hopefully turn the bad habits into a good habit. For example, like I did... A one-on-one set. Well, it was a two-to-two session last over the weekend with two goalkeepers. And one of the habits I picked up straight away after ten minutes or so, you try to clap before catching it, which I know is quite popular with young kids. For I don't know why, but it's then trying to remove the bad habit and turn it into a good habit because then you don't have the attention to detail in a game situation. Whereas in a one-on-one, you can fire ten balls at them in in a minute or so and try and work out the bad habits that's going to like negatively affect their game performance, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it comes back, like, I think that relation with the player as well, knowing, or them knowing as well their strengths and weaknesses, for then you to hone in on, like you're saying there, James, you know, we can get that repetition if he's, if he's a weak shot stopper, that, you know, we can, for a minute, work him on, on just straight shot, shot stopping, where he wouldn't get that opportunity maybe in a game or a training environment. You know, yeah. maybe he's, he's doing a lot of work with the ball um, instead of with his hands sometimes. Or for it's defend, like, sorry, if it's an outfielder, you know, maybe they're poor on their weak foot and we need to hone in on that. And that's our chance to then absolutely drill on that technique and, and develop it and give them that steady foundation to then grow on and practice themselves. Because it, as much as we want to, we've only got them with an hour, uh, for an hour. We're not going to completely revolutionise their game. We can give them the foundations and, and give them the repetition, but it's ultimately for them to reflect and, and go away and say, all right, that worked really well today, or that was hard, but I can feel myself developing. Yeah, and being able to challenge them and say, like, <clears throat> like you say there about using their weak foot, you might have a rebounder and they're playing passes off with their weaker foot, and then hoping that it kind of gets stuck in their head that I can't actually do it. So they yeah, go yeah. home and instead of blasting the ball with their right foot all the time, and then thinking, well, can I try and play it off this wall at home on my left foot and kind of take it back home as well? Because some of the stuff that are done in one-on-one sessions aren't, they're not things that can never be done at home, at least like little parts of it. So hopefully if they can take something away, like you say, practicing the weak foot, stuff like that, and then they can develop it in their own time as well, it's only going to make them even better. I think I've got like a bit of a great example of that, that kind of where we can hone in on that, that specific techniques. So going back to the weak foot, actually, it actually popped into my mind because of that. We were, I was with a, a young lad and he, he just refused, not refused, but just didn't want to use his left. And so every more, every time I trained with him, we'd start off with like just a game of one touch, you know, to get his feet moving, get his brain ticking. Um, 
and I would consistently win purely because I'd pass it to his left and he would run around the ball and it'd go, it'd spray everywhere or he'd use the outside of his right. And then all of a sudden, I didn't, didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden, the next few days, the left foot started to come in and creep in. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see it in the drills that you're doing and you see it in the finishing. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, well, very kind of covertly, it's just developed and developed. And I think that can be a real good way of developing where you kind of just disguise it. But, you know, there's an intent to develop. Definitely. So that, that kind of links to the second point there, doesn't it? Because you kind of let them work it out. Yeah, yeah. Whereas some might have pointed out straight away, right, I put that on your left foot and knowing that you weren't strong enough, can you try and improve it? Whereas you kind of, work kind out, of forced mate. it on him to then look at himself and think, well, why does Ryan keep beating us in this? It's because he puts it onto that weak he foot. Also, so I think, I think that, that came down, he was getting really frustrated as well, though, because he was getting it wrong. Like every time it went there, it kind of developed this habit of every time the ball went to his left, he was losing a point. And then it was like, well, what am I doing when it goes to my left? I'm using my right. Let's try it with my left. And all of a sudden, it was a bit more of a flow to it. Uh, as I was going to say, moving on to the second point, like uh, in my training sessions, I like to just play the game and let the kids work it out for themselves. Whereas obviously you don't have that luxury in one-to-one coaching. So I think that's where Aaron's coming at it from is can we use the one-on-one coaching where you can't just let them figure everything out for themselves? You've got to kind of have that constant input as the coach. I think that's where it's coming up with it. So we can't just say he has the drill and do it perfectly. You've got to kind of help them through it. In that's the aim why, of that's why people kind of pay the money as well, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. to get that that attention to detail with the, with the coach because there's no one else for them to, distract, to be distracted by. You know, you can just focus on that one player. You can absolutely hone in on the detail that they need. And that's why they're there, <laughs> you know, to get better. And they need that sometimes, that technical detail, you know. As much as we say, like, oh, I wish we had a couple more players to get involved or, you know, to play 2v2 or XYZ. You know, people are paying good money to to watch their, their child develop because you've taught him or her specific detail that they needed working on. Anyway, um, should we call it for a quick tea break? Um, And then we'll we'll head up question three. Thanks again for listening to the Coach's Room podcast. To express an interest in taking part as a guest in a future episode, send an email to thecoachesroomemail at gmail.com. Use the subject virtual roundtable and include a bit of background on yourself, who you are, where you're from and what age group you coach. Let's get back to the second half of the episode. Enjoy. Okay, welcome back to the Coach's Room, episode 10, where we are about to head up the final question, which comes in from at Elite Coaching Academy, which came in episode four. So as a coach, what environment do you see yourself in the short and long-term development versus senior teams and why? So I think I'm trying to guess that kind of what environment do you see yourself in, in the short term? Is it development or senior? And same question in the long term. Uh, Short term. Let's go to you. Yeah, I'm going to start off. So short term, um, well, I've just started a, a job as uh, a mix of DOC, DOF, technical director. I don't know, each person calls it differently. Um, but And that's directly related to development. So I'm going to be working with, from practically from the group of under sixes up into the group of under 19s. And basically what the the job is, 
is creating a structure, creating a methodology, trying to implement that methodology, creating profile, uh, player profile, um, trying to bring in the right coaches that can implement um, the methodology to that player profile. And um, yeah, so in the short term, I see myself trying to have a difficult job in places which are also um, difficult environments because I think going to an easy environment, like academies do not attract me whatsoever, like at this age, because I believe that I need the, the, you know, the difficult stuff. I need to deal with difficult parents. I need to deal with difficult coaches. I need to deal with difficult players. And that's really going to give me a lot in the long term. Um, hopefully when I get to that senior level, if I ever do, I, I believe I will, but you never know. I'll have enough experience going through, you know, the highs, the lows, and emotional unbalance, and all sorts of different experiences, which when I get there, I feel prepared, rather than, you know, being in maybe academy, which is a lot, I don't know if it's a lot easier, I believe it is, you know, where you've got that methodology, which you only need to implement, um, you get kind of like a nice prayer profile in each stage, um, you don't have to deal with parents because they take care of it. Um, so you don't really have that same experience than maybe in a grassroots club. I mean, I really recommend like grassroots experiences are awesome because even though they don't give you a lot in prestige, they give you a lot of knowledge and dealing and solve, problem solving is a key thing in life, um, no matter what area you are you know, in. So I, th I believe that short term is going to be still in development, but I want to get closer to a senior level um, maybe in one or two or three years' time. But in the meantime, it's definitely going to be around that development phase. What about yourself, Jamesy? See, I'm, I'm quite different. You all know I'm quite different. But uh, in terms of this question, a lot of coaches come out of it from like senior football, whereas I stopped playing at under 14, 15 level. So I've not been in that environment, really. So I, I see myself, especially short term, is staying within development. So I've got what will be under 10s and under 9s in the next season. And I, I'm enjoying that kind of young age because I kind of, I don't know, I feel more comfortable with it at the minute and like kind of following them. So as they get the 11s, 12, 13, 14, whatever, I see myself like staying with them, providing I can, and then hopefully like coming back round. And then maybe I think seniors is something for the future that I might look at like very long term. I've got no real eagerness to go into that environment, probably because I haven't, like I say, I haven't experienced it as a player. I would feel if I was to go into it, it would be alongside someone who has experienced it and someone who has managed see that level before, and then yeah, progress. But I think I think we miss we miss that a lot. The fact that so many good coaches and even like first team coaches now have been an assistant coach for ten years. You know, eight years, and and a lot of coaches are like, oh, well, I'm the first coach, or I'm not coaching, or I'm not going to that team. They prioritize, you know, being the first coach rather than sitting aside, learning, really engaging, and a second, you know, on a second base, um, than actual kind of like getting involved directly and trying to cover everything without, you know, having that previous experience or or knowledge. I think the what about you, right? I, just to jump in on that, I think kind of the assistant role, I think that's that's a role, it's a real blessing in disguise. You're doing, you know, you, you barely get 
obviously you're taking a bit of pressure from the manager, but you're not getting the brunt of the media, you know, you're not getting the fans absolutely on your back. You're in there working with the players every day. You know, you're you you, you they do they do have a big responsibility, you know, within the training program and who's playing X Y Z, but the, the added pressure doesn't really follow them. It follows the main guy, you know, and to be able to to kind of learn your trade and not have to deal with that alongside it, you know, up up at first bat is a is a real kind of kind of well well kind of well well kept secret. Do you think sometimes uh, assistant coaches are kind of unfairly treated in that they do, like we say, a lot of the the behind the scenes work, but then when when a Mourinho gets sacked, it's normally him and his team go, or he goes, and then the assistant then follows him to his next club. Whereas could you not that say that the might have the chance actually, to be? But do you not think that the manager's trusting him, and that's why he's gone with him? Yeah, they, they trust each other as a team, like the whole Jody Morris has followed Frank yeah. Lampard to Chelsea again, but. Say Lampard gets sacked, they might sack his coaching team, or they might leave someone like Jody Morris as the assistant, and then he's got the choice of do I go for the senior job, or if Lampard gets another job elsewhere, do I then follow him back round? Kind that's of a great option to have. Number two, I think that's an absolutely brilliant like option to have, though. Do you not? Yeah. Like I could either it, you know stay on and, and maybe get a chance at, at at the main role, or do I follow and and take an equally as good job? Working on the Lampard again, but then it, it comes down to the the assistant coach himself. Like, yeah, exactly. We've got to be open to admitting, oh no, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. So I'm going to follow him, but I might come back in future and go for it myself. And not like you see a lot of assistants probably rush into it, and yeah. then they they lose their job and then they've they've lost interest forever. So it's kind of being honest and thinking, am I ready to take it, or should I continue to be the assistant for a while? Yeah. I think there's a specific character and personality as well that you need to well develop, have, or kind of be able to adapt to being an assistant coach. And you've got to be able to bite your tongue. <laughs> Sorry? I think you've got to be able to bite your tongue. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And um, also kind of like sit back and have that individual discussion with players that maybe that first team coaches, you know they've gone over the top with. You see a lot more things sitting down than you do when you're standing up because also your thought process when you're standing up is is at the players you're very passionate you're very emotional you know when you're sitting down and you're watching you're seeing you know how the players react really like in detail how that person is coming across as well and I, I go back to my tennis or my paddle lessons right now like when I'm getting coached I feel like how I get really frustrated when I miss when I mess up and when things happen and they don't go right, you know, and how he deals with it is so important for me to stay motivated or I drop. And yeah. it's so important to have that coach. And, and maybe it's a little bit more expensive, but it does make a difference in the long term and in the short term. You know, a session I go through and, 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 and I finish and you feel hyped up and a session you go through and you feel distraught, you know, and you've done things wrong and done things right in that session. How you feel afterwards and having that emotional um, capacity to to adapt to the circumstances and that second coach in those dressing rooms is such a big role. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. you said it before, it's very undervalued. Yeah. And the link between the two, isn't it? Like, I, I would be the, your number two, Harry, and Ryan's got stuff that he'd never say to you, but I could be the link between him and you, whereas you might have a message for Ryan that if you put across 
you might put across in the wrong way, but you know you could come to me and I could pass it on to him. That kind of yep. man between yeah. the two. Yeah, that's the, massive, isn't it? The kind of saving is a, is a mate, like a mate that teaches them more than their actual coach coach. But going back to the question, personally, if I was to do that sort of thing, long-term seniors, I think I would want to still have the junior, the development on the side and kind of balance the two, whether it be an assistant at a senior team but still be in charge of my own team, whether that's right at the bottom of under seven, under eight, or kind of like the, the age when they're looking at senior football, so like 15s. Yeah. I kind of want to keep the two on a, on a par. Like it, like it. Um, kind of looking at myself. A good question. Like, I want, I want to get my UEFA B done. Like, obviously, that's nearly done. I just need to do, obviously, when we go back and they, they come and analyse you and, and pass you or fail you, whatever they do. Um, I want to get that done. And my short term is kind of to start working myself through the age groups. You know, I, I had a really great chat with, I, I call him a mentor, one of our head of coaches at Preston, um, who kind of said that he wants me to experience, you know, going through the 5v5, 7v7, 9v9, all the way to the 11v11, not just going from under uh, 5v5 to 11v11 because I've got my B and I can. You know, actually yeah. understand the process, how the game adapts, how the pitch adapts, you know, how the players adapt going through each level will actually help me build up a bit of a repertoire for going into 11 v 11. Kind of looking in the long term, I'd, I'd just love to be in a senior, a senior team. Like I've been with Accrington Stanley first team. I went there for a couple of months just kind of to see what it was like and, and I just absolutely loved it. Um, I couldn't really put my finger on why. I think it's just always something I've wanted to do and like see it in real life. And it was just like, I'd love to do, I'd love to be in there and, and be able to get involved and help these players develop. But I do, I still love what I do now, helping the kids play and grow is still something that, that you know, and when they see, you see something that you've worked on or someone that you've really tried to work hard with over months and you see them maybe develop or show that one thing that you've been working on it. It's really, it's, it's quite a proud moment as well. So there's definitely both sides to it for me. Um, but I think in the short term, it's development. In the long term, probably looking at senior teams. Yeah. Kind of something that uh, kind of come across my head because I, I work within my club. I kind of, I'm quite hands-on with helping to find coaches who will start at the bottom and work their way up and like try to get a big thing of ex-players who are like, going out the game at what, 16, 17, and then try and come back through as coaches, give them opportunity, kind of looking at, which could be a topic in its own of, should we have a coach who kind of does the introduction years, the under seven, under eight years, and then passes them on from there and kind yeah. of just focuses on the, the introduction of the game kind of thing. I think that's something I would be interested in. Obviously, hard to do now because I've already got two of my own teams that I want to follow up with, but kind of coming in and, taking them from, from the foundation sessions of being four or five year old and then helping them through their first year at least when they're in a central venue where they don't have to go they don't have to go home and away, they don't have to do stuff like that, but they're in one place and they you kind of teach them the game. And then yeah. when it comes to the next year when they're under eight, kind of then having someone in place to take them on for eights, nines, tens, whatever, and just doing a look round, I think that would be an interesting place. Definitely, because you're getting again, like you're getting the full full range of experience there. You know how an under fifteen might react differently to an under eight, and 
as sort as like as obvious that is there's so many sort of things that you won't pick up on until you actually do it isn't there you've got to get the full experience many, but like I'm, what i'm saying there with that example is with my teams now which will be nines and tens next season kind of following them through and then coming back round and maybe sticking at the starting age groups and kind of help them give that experience yeah is it, is it a different way of doing it Lovely. Uh, Harry, you got any kind of closing points? No, I think we've, we've basically covered um, all three questions. Thank everybody for um, dropping their questions in. Hopefully we've you know, made you think or made you, um, you know, reflect on, on something. Um, and if it's, as always, one, two or 10 or 15 or 20 people or 100 people, at the end of the day, it's just helping the community and keep on developing ourselves as coaches and keep that open mind and that energy flowing between coaches around the world. Boosh. Perfect. Thank you very much for listening. Um, give it a like, kind of, any feedback, you know, drop it onto our social media. We appreciate every listener, every, every viewer. Um, it means a lot to us. Um, we only do it kind of for the coaches and the players, don't we? You know, we don't get anything out of this for ourselves. You know, we always, we're just kind of looking to help other people. Um, just a quick kind of word for, for the forthcoming episodes. We are going to change from now on. It's going to be once every month um, where we're going to chunk it maybe into a bit of a bigger episode with maybe one or two more guests um, or we might break it down. But it's going to be now from the, it's going to be the last Monday of every month. Is that right, guys? Yeah, well, down to the situation, everybody's starting or gradually getting back to work. And there's a lot of coaching coming back to life. And at the end of the day, it's been great to do this during the lockdown. But now time is, is we have to prioritize right now um, our development at the same time. And hopefully we can keep on um, doing these once a month. And hopefully, we, as Brian said, we can have one or two guests on and we can have a good time. Come together once a month. If you are interested in coming on, um, you know, drop an email or just leave a comment. And um, yeah, once a month, we'll be back and we'll be sharing. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you later, boys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the experience. Feel free to leave any feedback on our social media platforms at Coach Cosson, at Training underscore RM, and at Pogue underscore Coaching. Once again, thanks for listening to The Coach's Room. See you next time.